0: Good morning everybody. Shall we pray and then we'll step into the message for today. Father, thank you for just the way that by your spirit you've orchestrated this service this morning. Thank you that we can lift our heads and that you are the lifter of our heads. As we turn our attention, our Lord, to your word, I pray that you illuminate our minds and our hearts and apply the word of God to our lives just as you deem fit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have uh, with me this morning some very significant historical artifacts. They are packaged in, usually in a box like this. I'm aware probably there's some people on this side of the room who have never seen this artifact. This, ladies and gentlemen, is a cassette tape. It looks like this. If you haven't seen one and you want to touch one, we have one here today. I was reminded of these tapes as I was preparing, uh, because uh, it links to a story which uh, I'll tell you shortly, but this tape, for example, is on uh, Believer's Baptism by Pastor Harry Kukumur on the 1st of the 11th, 1998, in the evening service was preached. The, The reason I have this tape is because when I heard the teaching, I thought this is the gold standard of teaching on Believer's Baptism. And I bought the tapes that I could give it to my parents who weren't baptized as believers at that time. And I made them listen to the tape because in those days people still had tape players. And they both got baptized because of listening to the story. Uh, Two of the other tapes I have here are tapes of personal prophecy. At a time in Hatfield, you can actually see on the spine, it's actually especially printed. It says, personal prophecy tape. And this was a personal prophecy that I received in... April of 1998, seems 1998 was a big year for tapes in my life. I know CDs were out then, but I was like old school. Um, And this was a prophecy that I received at a a Bill Hammond conference at the time. Uh, As Tia and I were looking for these tapes last night, I was quite happy that we actually found them. They were in boxes, in cupboards, hidden away. And I thought, great, I'm so happy I found it. It's just a pity I can't listen to it anymore. I do have a tape play which I'll now have to take out of the garage and dust off and connect because now I'm not very inquisitive to remember what was said. And one of these other tapes is a prophecy T and I received at a, at a young adult camp in 99, uh, which was the year we got married. Eh? Yeah. i glad I got that right. But the, the reason I thought about tapes is I was thinking a bit about the history of Hatfield and I was getting a little nostalgic, I guess. And one of the things that tapes did in the history of our church, if we go back right into the nineteen sixties, a story Pastor Sherry Atkins told me at a stage, is Hatfield was a traditional Baptist church for many years. But from about the mid-1960s into the late 1960s, we started entering what was known as the charismatic movement. And one of the sources of information, because it was quite a new thing in South Africa, there weren't any other churches definitely, definitely in Pretoria that were doing this, they were all very traditional. Just imagine Pretoria in the 1960s. Could probably say Pretoria. Um, But we would get tapes from American overseas, from people who'd started examining the scriptures and started seeing that perhaps there was more that God wanted to do and bring into the church. And so for more than 50 years now, as we sit here today as the Hatfield community, the Hatfield congregation, for more than 50 years, we've been a church that's been part of the charismatic movement. We can probably call it the charismatic tradition by now. What does that mean? It means that we're a church that believes that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today, that people can be baptized in the Holy Spirit and filled, and that those gifts can operate as we meet together here as a gathered church, that these gifts can operate when we leave here and we go out as a scattered church. This is our tradition. This is who we are. In fact, the preamble to our church's constitution starts and it says we are a spirit-led faith community that values the presence of the Lord. That is who we are. And so perhaps as you walk into Hatfield, if you haven't been here for all of the 50 years, 50 years is longer than I've been alive, um, it's good perhaps just to come back to the scriptures today. And that's, I think, my mandate today is just to bring us back to some of the foundational scriptures particularly to do with prophecy. And the topic for this morning's sermon is prophecy and us. Prophecy as a church gathered, prophecy as a church scattered. It's interesting the effect that us as a church stepping into the charismatic space has had in our city, and we've sung much about the city, and I think we're going to, as the Lord leads, pray a bit for the city at the end of the service. And we're going to spend some time today in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's one of the chapters in the Bible where I've probably spent the most time wrestling, trying to understand what Paul was writing over the years. But before we get to chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, I want to just give some uh, qualifying comments or lay some foundational principles so that when we get into the text, we're just all in the same space. Firstly, I want to say, as we talk about prophecy, which prophecy, by the way, is one of the gifts of the Spirit. We read about it. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. So if you remember 12 and you go Romans, Corinthians, you'll probably be okay in that space. And so we're talking today largely focusing on one of the gifts, the charis mata, the gifts of grace that God gives to the church through His Spirit. So as we focus on prophecy, I thought it would be good just to remind us that when we prophesy, we speak for God. When we pray, we speak to God, that's the direction. But when we prophesy, we speak for God or on behalf of God. Now that is awesome, that God would trust us through his spirit to speak on his behalf to other people. I like to phrase it this way, it's a holy honor that we have the privilege of speaking for God or on behalf of God to others. And so prophecy is when we speak to others, and I think we must always be respectful and mindful and it's a treasure that we have that God gifts us in this way and it's important therefore when we prophesy that we believe fully as much as we can that this is what God wants to say there is a responsibility incumbent on us if we have the gift of prophecy or if we feel that God is saying something to somebody that we just make sure that it is God and that we are speaking and that we understand at least that we are speaking on God's behalf Another introductory comment that I'd like to make is just to, in this area of prophecy, just to help us understand that biblical prophecy has two aspects. Biblical prophecy has two aspects. If we look at the 16 prophetic books in the Old Testament, as people clever and with much more time than me have analyzed them, they've realized that there's two main categories of prophecy that we find recorded for us in the scripture. The first category is what we call foretelling, F-O-R-E, foretelling telling. This is when we're saying something that's a bit predictive. It's talking a bit about something that's yet to happen. It's in the future. Now, as scholars have studied uh, how much of these 16 books in the Old Testament speak into this area of foretelling, it's actually surprisingly little. So according to uh, guys like uh, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart, if they look at the prophecy in the Old Testament, less than 5% of all prophecy in the Old Testament speaks of the new covenant or what we would call the new testament of what happens after the life and death and resurrection of jesus christ of the church less than five percent speaks of the future in that way it's a large volume of prophecy 16 books but only two percent actually speaks about the messiah or points to the messiah now that might be as many as 300 individual prophecies but in terms of the volume of prophecy in the old testament probably less than two percent speaks about the coming Messiah, the ministry of Jesus, his first coming and his second return. And probably 1%, as we sit here today, of Old Testament prophecy, and then now including some of the New Testament prophecy, less than 1% still speaks of things that are future for us, like the second coming of Christ, the return of Jesus, and the millennium. So a relatively small percentage of biblical prophecy that we find actually is foretelling, is predictive. The bulk of prophecy that we find in the Bible falls into the second category, which is called forth-telling, F-O-R-T-H, forth-telling, where that is that God is speaking into the present, where God is speaking to, if it's the minor prophets, to the people alive at that time, and He's reminding them of His covenant, and He's reminding them of how He wants to bless them, and He's warning them of the consequences that happens when people turn away from Him. There's a bulk of prophecy that speaks not so much into the distant future, but A lot into people's presence. And I think we find that pattern repeated even in the New Testament space, where much of the New Testament prophecy that comes through the gift of prophecy speaks to us now, where we're at, into our immediate situations and circumstances, perhaps a little bit into our immediate future. But there is prophecy that does say about the future. Last week, Pastor Louis shared about one that he received when he was a young boy, where a prophecy came and said that he will preach one day. That was predictive. That was foretelling. But often prophecy comes to encourage us and comfort us and strengthen us in our present situations. Sometimes the prophecy is just simple. God wants you to know that he sees what you're going through and he's with you. That's foretelling, God speaking to us in the present. And so if I look at the balance and the weighting in biblical prophecy, it would appear to me that God is as interested in your present as you are in your future. God is as interested in your present as you are in your future. And God wants to speak to you. God speaks to you about now and he can also speak to you about the future as well. So prophecy has two aspects, foretelling and forthtelling. As we consider prophecy, it's also important that we understand that there's a difference between the gift of prophecy and the office of a prophet. There's a difference between the gift of prophecy and the office of a prophet. The gift of prophecy... Uh, you can read about that, as I mentioned earlier, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and a few other places. That gift of prophecy is bestowed by the Holy Spirit on all. It's available to every believer. You could come to church this morning, and the Holy Spirit speaks to you the words of God for somebody else, and you receive that as a gift of prophecy, and you share it with somebody else, you share it with a community, perhaps, or like Debbie did, it was a word for us as a whole earlier this morning, both Debbies, if you want to be specific. And so the gift of prophecy is available to any believer, anyone who has the spirit of God living in them. God can speak and you can operate in the gift of prophecy. You can speak for God into a situation. The office of the prophet, and thanks to the guys from Crocus uh, Prophetic Ministries, they gave me some of the material which helped me clarify some things in the space for myself as well. Office of a prophet is perhaps something closer to what we read in Ephesians chapter four. In verse 11, it says that God gave gifts to the church. Verse 7, it says Jesus gave gifts to the church. So by the way, the prophet is part of God's gift to the church. But it speaks in Ephesians 4.11 about the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, and the apostle. And we often speak about them as the fivefold ministry because there's five of them, okay? And those are given as gifts to the church with a very specific purpose, to bring the church to a maturity in faith and to equip the saints for their work of ministry, So it is your pastor's job to look after you, but it's also your pastor's job to equip you for the works of your ministry, for what God has called you to do. Now, that prophet that's listed there is often referred to as the office of a prophet. It's someone that comes, and often they will have a gift of prophecy or an ability of prophecy that's beyond just personal prophecy. It will be about speaking to groups of people, to nations, to different situations like that. So while it's vested in a person, it's still in the space of a gift that God has given uh, to the church. A New Testament example of probably someone who stood in the office of a prophet would be a man we read about in the book of Acts. His name was Agabus. In Acts chapter 11, it says that he prophesied that there would be a famine in the Jerusalem area. He stood in the office of a prophet. (laughs) Later on in Acts chapter 21, Paul's on his way to Jerusalem. Paul knows he's going to get Arrested and difficult things are going to happen to him in Jerusalem. And Ag- Agabus in Acts 21 comes and he takes his belt and he takes Paul's belt and he binds it and he says, The one who owns this belt is going to get bound. So he does this prophetic action and Paul says, Thanks for the confirmation um, that was happening in that space. So Agabus probably stood in the space of the office of a prophet. So as we get to 1 Corinthians 14, It's also important that we understand that when Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church in AD 55, about, and as we sit here in Hatfield Christian Church in 2019, that's 1,964 years ago. And as we read about the things in Corinth, we must understand that they were quite different from what we are today in Hatfield. And so when we read, we don't read for laws that we have to apply, we read for principles that we can apply because the churches are so different. For example, the church in Corinth probably was quite small at this stage, or at least in small groups. It met in homes, probably safe to say, we don't know, but less than 50 people. So when they gathered, everybody knew everybody and they would know who had which gift and who could interpret tongues and who couldn't and who spoke in tongues and who didn't and they would know if there was a visitor and they would know who the strangers were, they would know who the believers were. Sitting here in Hatfield Christian Church, 1,964 years later, it's a little bit bigger than 50. And everybody doesn't know everybody. And so we look for principles in the text and not laws and rules. And so as we approach 1 Corinthians 14, and if you can get there in your Bibles, we're going to read shortly. I want to talk firstly about prophecy when the church gathers, the gathered church and prophecy. When we talk about the gathered church, we mean like we are here today. We've all come together to worship, to give glory to God to learn and to be edified. This is the gathered church. Later, we're going to talk about the scattered church. That's what when you leave here. It starts in the parking lot. If you can be like Jesus in the parking lot as you're driving out, you're winning. But it's about being scattered in your homes and in your workplaces. That's the church scattered. So we're first going to talk about prophecy in the church gathered. And then later, we're going to talk about prophecy as as, as the church scattered. And so as we approach 1 Corinthians 14, very important to remember that it forms a unit with chapters 12 and 13 as well. And so just to give us a little bit of context, the main idea in 1 Corinthians 12 that Paul wants to land with the Corinthian church, is that they need to have a di- <coughs> excuse me, they need to have a diversity of gifts that are given by the same spirit. They need to have a diversity of gifts that are given by the same spirit. It probably happened that the Corinthians got a little bit overfocused on one or two of the gifts probably tongues was one of them, that they were over-infatuated with tongues. They thought, the more I speak in tongues, the more spiritual I am. And Paul's trying to say, don't just get stuck on one, look at them all. That is probably the main idea in chapter 12. Chapter 13, he says, the other important thing when you have this diversity of gifts is that the gifts must be operated by means of agape, by means of love. Agape is one of the Greek words for love. And I use it specifically because it has a specific focus. Agape is when I look to the good of the other, when I focus on somebody else. And so when I'm using the gifts, it's not about me. When I operate in love, I'm focusing for the good of the other, the person who's the recipient of the gift. So the the means, the framework within which the gift should operate is the framework of agape love. And then in chapter 14, which is what we're going to unpack today, the big idea is that when the church is gathered, Paul argues that they should prefer the gifts that edify the church. They should prefer the gifts that build up the church. And so let's jump straight into 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We want to try and look at three principles. There's quite a few more in chapter 14, but for today we'll look at three of perhaps the clearer ones that are there. As an introduction to chapter 14, we just want to remind us all of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 where Paul writes and he says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To each one, however the Spirit manifests through you, whether it's through a gift, if it's in the office of a prophet, it's given for the common good. So when we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit in general, but particularly also today the gift of prophecy, it's very important to remember that that gift is given to you or comes through you for the common good. It's for the community. The gift is not for you. It's for somebody else. It's for building up the community. And so 1 Corinthians 14, I've had to select just, for time's sake, the verses uh, a little bit, I'm not gonna read through the whole chapter, so I've packaged some of the verses. Uh, That's not because I want to think some of the other verses are less important, but I'm just trying to highlight certain principles today. So we're gonna read 1 Corinthians 14, verse one to five, and verse 12, and verse 26 together. And I think I've asked the guys if they can leave it on the screen a little bit longer than normal. So 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1 starts and it says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries in the Spirit. And here the direction is important. When you're speaking in tongues, you're speaking to God. That's the direction. But, verse 3, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would rather, sorry, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. So Paul is not against tongues. Very clearly, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. But even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Verse 12, so it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. And then lastly, verse 26, what shall we say then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Clearly in these verses, Paul says, we should eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. In chapter 12, Paul writes and he makes it very clear that the Holy Spirit is the one who bestows the gifts. The Holy Spirit is the one who distributes the gifts. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Our role is to lean in, to be eager, to desire the gifts. So when we come to the gathered church as we are this morning, In our hearts, we should be saying, Lord, I'm leaning in. If there's a gift of the Spirit that you want to bestow for the common good in the body, I'm in. It's right to desire the gifts of the Spirit. But it's important that we also see that Paul prefers the gifts that edify the church. A couple of these verses point to that. He prefers the gifts that edify the church. If we look at verse 5, Paul says something interesting. He clearly says the one who prophesies is greater. Why does Paul prefer prophecy? Why does Paul prefer prophecy and why does he say it's greater than tongues when the church is gathered? And so just for, to help us understand that a little bit, it's not because one is more important or less important. Paul prefers prophecy for a very simple reason and it's got to do with two things. One, we read that when we prophesy, we speak to one another, we speak to people. When we speak tongues, we're speaking to God prophecy is directed to the community. But the key for us we find in one Corinthians fourteen verse nine, where Paul writes as follows, one Corinthians fourteen nine, he says, But in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue. So when he says in the church he means as the church is gathered. And this is why Paul thinks prophecy is greater and more important. Because when I speak prophetically, intelligible means you can understand it. You can understand what I'm saying. So Paul says he prefers prophecy because it's intelligible. People can understand it. And then if I can understand what you're saying, it's most likely to edify me. If I were to speak in tongues, most in the room, probably all, would not understand what I'm saying. Therefore, it's less likely to build up the church. It's less likely to edify So Paul believes that prophecy, when the church gathers, is greater than tongues because it edifies, it builds up, it's understandable to everybody that's there, which means you can more clearly know and understand what God is saying to the church at that time, which means you can be edified, built up in that space. One of the three key aspects of how the church is edified we find in verse 3 in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul writes and he says, The one who prophesies speaks to people... For their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And those three aspects are very important. When we prophesy, one of the criteria we use to weigh prophecy, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, is does it strengthen? Does it motivate? Does it, I've had a tough week and someone comes and says, you know, God sees and he's with you. It strengthens me, it motivates me, it gives me courage to go on. It encourages me and it comforts me. Probably encourage is similar to what we've heard throughout the morning service. It's about lifting the head. It gives me courage to look up. It gives me courage to go on. It gives me courage to persevere in what God is doing. So principle number one that we want to apply from the church of Corinth to the church today is that when the church gathers, gifts that build up the church should be given preference. When the church gathers, gifts that build up the church, that are likely to strengthen the church, they should be given preference. All the gifts can be bestowed, but there's a preference for gifts that build up the church. That's the first principle we want to recognize from Corinthians 14, 114 today. The next section of verses we're going to look at this morning uh, starts in verse 29, and we're going to read 1 Corinthians 14 from verse 29 to 33, and then the last two verses of the chapter, verses 39 and 40, to just discover two more principles that are in the text here. So 1 Corinthians 14:29, Paul says, two or three prophets should speak and others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, probably because all the Corinthians were prophesying out of turn. So Paul's saying you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Then we quickly skip the difficult verses about women, and we get to verse 39. I'm not scared of them. They're just not relevant for today. Okay, now I've said it, so I have to fix it. Um, Probably very culturally specific to something that was happening in Corinth at that time. So there we go. Verse 39. Therefore at the end of the whole chapter. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and an orderly way. I want to go through this passage and just comment on a couple of the phrases or sections in that verse. The first one I'd like to look at is that others should weigh carefully what is said. The Whenever we receive a prophecy, whether it's for us personally, whether it's for us as a community, whether it's for our families, we are biblically mandated to weigh that prophecy. I like the word weigh. The NIV translates it, weigh the more literal translation would be to discern. The prophecies must be discerned. What are you trying to discern? You're trying to discern, is it God that is speaking? You're trying to discern, um, is it strengthening, encouraging, and building up? You're trying to discern, is it for now? In my experience, that's often one of the hardest things to nail down when you're dealing with prophecy is the timing of the word. Is it a word for now? Is it a word for a little bit later? Uh, And often, there, what's really valuable is to get brothers and sisters around us in the Lord and consider that word, to weigh the word. What weight do I attach to this word together? Is a very good practice to do. So, we want to know does it strengthen? Does it encourage? Does it comfort? Does it align with the teachings of Jesus in Scripture? Does it align with the Bible? Is it morally consistent? So if you get a prophecy that says, the Lord says, go rob a bank, do not steal. Okay? It's out of alignment. It's not God. Sorry. Always important that we check that our prophecies align with Scripture. I've mentioned timing, and also that the prophecies draw us towards Christ, that they draw us closer to God and not push us away from God. These are some of the things we can look at. In fact, On this personal prophecy tape from the 1990s, on the back, there's a little blue section with all the T's and C's applying to personal prophecy. It says, everyone who receives a personal prophecy should immediately write it down, write out your prophecy and meditate on it. Review your prophecy with spiritual covering, like your pastor or your life group leader. Prophecy is God's word to you. Prophecy must be confirmed by two or three witnesses. You must meditate and pray over your prophetic word, according to 1 Timothy 1.18. It says, do not do anything unless directed by the Holy Spirit with confirmation from your spiritual leaders. And remember, prophecies are always conditional. So that's really nice. T's and C's apply. But we're supposed to weigh prophecy. It's nothing wrong. If someone brings you a prophetic word, and you can say, thank you, I'm going to weigh that. I'm going to discern it. It's completely the right thing to do. Even if the prophet is world famous, you weigh the, the prophecy, okay? Next phrase I'd like to look at is, it says that, a couple of phrases together, actually. It says, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. This is quite an interesting concept. So God comes and by His Spirit, He puts a word in your spirit, works through your soul. And perhaps sometimes like Jeremiah felt, it says it burns your bones, it burns within you. But even then, it seems that God recognizes that we have a free will, that we can choose how to deliver that word, when to deliver that word. You don't have to say it when you get it. You can wait and ask God, when is the time for this? When is the space for this? What's the appropriate way to say this? How do I say this in love? How can I be kind and patient and not provoking and not easily angered when I share this word with somebody else? And so there is an element of self-control that's appropriate when we receive a prophetic word. Verse 33, a lot of people's favorite verse. It says that God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. I want to highlight something. I don't want to make too much of it, but I think it is important. The verse does not say God is not a God of disorder, but of order. The contrast is not between disorder and order. The contrast is between disorder and peace. And I think I'll try and help us understand that a little bit shortly. But it's interesting that when we meeting as a community and the gifts of the Spirit are flowing, especially the gift of prophecy, one of the benchmarks we are going to use is, does this bring peace? Because in an environment of peace, the church can be edified. In an environment of peace, the church can be built up. And then the last verse says that everything should be done in a fitting and an orderly way. Why is it important that it's fitting? Now, fitting might look very different in different cultures, in different churches, and in different times. What's fitting and orderly in Hatfield Christian Church might not be fitting and orderly in a church in Korea, for example. There might be some different perspectives on that. But the purpose of the fitting and orderly is not for the sake of order for the sake of order. The purpose is so that the church can be built up, that the church can be edified. That is the overriding principle with why The spirit of the prophets is subject to the control of the prophets, why God is a God of peace, and why things should be done fitting and orderly. It's so that the church may be built up. So how do we do that at Hatfield today, 1,900 and something years later? We usually have a pastor sitting there. Today was Pastor William. And we call it the ministry mic. Although there's no mic there, but it's what it's called because it's what we've called it for 40 years. Um, And the idea there is that if you receive a prophecy or a word from God, you go to the pastor on duty, and their job is to weigh the word. They must discern, is it strengthening, encouraging, and comforting? Is it for now? What's the timing of the word? What are all those things that come into play in that space? And then the poor service director has to decide when to release that word in the flow of the Spirit. It's all these things so that things can be done in a fitting and orderly way. Why? So that the church may be encouraged, comforted, and strengthened. That's the purpose. So if you were to go to the ministry, Mike, and they say, look, your word's not for today, It doesn't mean you didn't hear from God, it just probably meant timing and flow and and different things like that that come into space. But I'd like to talk a little bit about this matter of order. And the first time I heard this illustration uh, was about 20 years ago from uh, Pastor Roy and Colleen Mann, and it, it really helped me understand something. So if we can put up the first forest slide. It's a picture of a forest. It's beautiful. It's peaceful. Would you like to go for a walk? in this forest. Green grass, for those listening on radio, it's a plantation forest with green grass under beautiful green trees. It's a beautiful forest. There isn't order to this forest. It's important that we note that this forest probably didn't grow this way naturally. This forest was ordered by man. So you could say this forest is a picture of how man orders nature. Now, God gave us dominion, so it's still a gift of God. It's still a kind of order. It's not bad. It's just a kind of order. I relate very much to this kind of order. I like it. There's even spacing between the trees. You can see where you're going. There's a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. All things are nice. That's a form of order. If we can put up the next picture, please. Here's a different kind of order. This is a natural forest. No pathways, No light at the end of the tunnel, but God ordered this forest, did he not? And so here's a a different picture of the order of God. And so when we come together and we talk about order, it's never order for the sake of order. What we're after is God's order. Sometimes it's going to be the plantation order, evenly spaced, well-organized, clear direction. Sometimes it's just going to be awesomely beautiful and green, and we have to figure out where we're going and our way through it. That's also God's order. So, I'm not arguing or suggesting that there's an either or. I'm saying that you should be a both and. Sometimes, as the Spirit leads us, we're a plantation order. Sometimes, as the Spirit leads us, we're a natural order. I could have put up a picture of the Mediterranean Sea, which just wobbles. There's no waves, unless there's a storm. But the Mediterranean Sea is very calm and evil. There's calm and even, there's an order to it. But we could put up a picture of waves storming to the beach like on most of South Africa's coastline. There's an order to that too. And so sometimes when the spirit is directing a service, there's different kinds of order that happened. Why this illustration helped me so much is it helped me get over myself. Because I obviously in my natural self have a preference for a certain kind of order. But I had to lay that down and understand what I'm really after is God's order. And God's order produces peace. And I think that's why Paul contrasts disorder with peace, not order with order, because I think he knew we're going to to define order on our own terms. And when we define order on our own terms, you know what happens? We end up putting God in a box. We need to define order as God wants the order defined in that space. So principle number two and three from the text. Principle number two, when the church gathers, we need God's order and peace so that the church may be built up. When the church gathers, we need God's order and peace so that the church may be built up. And then principle number three, which is uh, shared first, is prophecy must be weighed. Prophecy must be tested. It must be discerned. Discerned. This is why uh, we call them parking lot prophecies, why they're dangerous. You know what a parking lot prophecy is? You're standing outside church on a Sunday at your car, and someone comes and gives you a word that just knocks you out. There's no waiting. There's no accountability. There's no responsibility. So what you really want to do when someone wants to prophesy, is you take out your phone. Most phones these days have a recording option. You say, speaking to the mic. And then we can say, then I'm going to pray this. I'm going to take it to my leaders, and we're going to weigh this and discern it. Is that okay? So we must weigh and discern prophecy. So when the church gathers, the gifts that edify should be given preference. When the church gathers, we need God's order and peace so that the church can be built up. And when the church gathers, prophecies must be weighed. I'd like to spend a couple of minutes talking now about the church scattered and prophecy. And I'm going to go through just some general pointers quite quickly. I think there might be many more. But for today, I think we're headed in the right direction. And perhaps if the worship team can come onto the stage so long. When I think about the church scattered, I'm reminded of the New Testament word that's used for the church. The New Testament word is ecclesia, ecclesia, And it literally means the called out ones, the called-out group. And when you think of the church scattered, it's, it's a helpful way to think about ourselves, is that we're called out of the world around us, around, called out of the communities around us. We're a distinctive community that's characterized by love. Jesus said, they will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. We're the ones called out to be a distinctive community in all the communities around us that's characterized by love, but that is surrendered and loyal to Jesus above everything else. That's the idea around the Ecclesia. And so in this called out space, we must also understand that the church is a prophetic community. That means that we're living to declare God's word, to speak for God into the world. Sometimes that speaking is verbal. We're saying what scripture says, or we're saying what God says in our workplaces and in our homes and in our families, Sometimes that speaking is lifestyle, how I live, that I live differently to those around me. 1 Peter 2, 9, Peter says, we're a called out nation, we're a peculiar people, It means we are supposed to be a little bit strange, okay, so that we may declare the praises of God in the world around us. So the church is a prophetic community. And just three thoughts then as we wrap up on what it means to be a prophetic community. Being a prophetic community means that we need to understand the times. Being a prophetic community means we need to... If I want to live differently from the world, I need to understand what's going on around me and, how, and what God's answer to that space is. So the scripture we most often use for understanding the times is 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32, where it speaks about the tribe of Issachar in David and Saul's time. And it says, The men of Issachar understood the times and knew what Israel should do. We need as a prophetic community to be a group of people who understand the times and who know what to do. It's quite interesting to me always as I read this passage, I look at the context. The tribes in Israel, Saul was king, but everyone knew that God had chosen David. And so David's coming to power, but Saul is still in power. And so it's quite political actually. And the men of Issachar understand that God's plan is to support David and not Saul. That's the context, very political in its day and time. But the men of Issachar must understand the times. The church needs to understand the times. Secondly, being a prophetic community means living, speaking, and standing for God's truth. Living, speaking, and standing for God's truth. Whether it comes as a gift of the Spirit, whether it comes through the prophecy of Scripture. Because Scripture is the Word of God. It's a form of prophecy. I think this is what Jesus meant when he spoke about being salt and being light. When the church scatters, we're supposed to be salt, influencing our workplaces, influencing our families, influencing our communities. But we're also supposed to be light, where we shine truth into the darkness. We stand not for our own truth, but for God's truth. So a prophetic community understands the times. A prophetic community means we live and speak and stand for God's truth. And then lastly, I believe a prophetic community means we pray for our communities. My favorite picture of prayer in the New Testament is in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, where it says that our prayers are like incense that comes up before God. I don't know if you've been in a room ever that's filled with incense. It surrounds it. It permeates everything. It gets deeply into your nose. It has a, you can't miss it. And there's this picture that the Apostle John writes, and he says, when we pray, our prayers become like incense in the throne room of God surrounded by our prayers. And then when we pray for our communities, God acts and God makes a difference, often using us to be the difference. It's not about being passive. It's being an active participator in what God is saying. And so we pray and we prophesy. And this is probably in the space where we're in the fourth telling. We're declaring God's word into the present. What is God saying for us now, for our communities and our spaces and our time? And so at Hatfield, we've stood On 50 years of legacy of being part of the charismatic community what about the next 50 or 100 or however long but what about the next 50 you and I are here to bear the calling that God has on this community on this church what about the next 50 as we continue being people who are led by the spirit or people of faith who love the Lord's presence who want to take ourselves our lives and we want them to speak on behalf of God And I believe that's the part of lifting our head today. God wants us to be his community in this city. One of the prophetic words over this church that's come up many times in our 50-year history, even as recently as earlier on this year through uh, Pastor Dwayne White, comes from Isaiah chapter 60, the first three verses. But the main idea is Isaiah chapter 60, arise and shine. And this is our time not only now, but for the next 50 years, to arise and shine, to be the prophetic community that God is calling us to be. So if I may invite you to stand, we're gonna sing uh, God of the City again, as we sang earlier, but I want us to do it with a bit of a difference. I want us to do it as a proclamation, as a prophetic declaration. So when we say he's the God of the city, let's speak the words of God into this space. When we say he's the Lord of our land, Let's declare it as a people. So are you ready to be a prophet this morning? We're going to speak for God over our city. And as we're doing that, and as we're worshipping, if you feel there's something specific that God lays on your heart to pray for the city, just as you're standing there, won't you pray it just out loud? Pray it for our city. If it's for the nation, pray it for the nation. If it's for your family, pray it for your family. Let's be a prophetic people. Father, thank you that you are the lifter of our head. And Lord, we declare you God over our city you are the Lord of this land we speak on your behalf into the atmosphere to the rulers the principalities and the powers you are the God of this city and we trust you Lord that there's greater things to come in our city and in our church as we gather and as we scatter and Lord as we scatter now I pray your blessing over each one may we know your peace and your presence as we go May we understand that you are with us and that you will never leave us or forsake us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.